A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, through one man sin entered the world, and through sin death. And thus death came to all men inasmuch as all sinned. If by that one person's transgression the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man Jesus Christ overflow for the many? For if by the transgression of the one, death came to reign through that one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of justification come to reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? In conclusion, just as through one transgression, condemnation came upon all, so through one righteous act, acquittal and life came to all. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Where sin increased, grace overflowed all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through justification for eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Sacrifice or oblation you wished not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Burnt offerings or sin offerings you sought not. Then said I, Behold, I come. In the written scroll it is prescribed for me. To do your will, O oh my God, is my delight, and your law is within my heart. I announced your justice in a vast assembly. I did not restrain my lips, as you, O oh Lord, know. May all who seek you exalt and be glad in you, and may those who love your salvation Say ever, the Lord be glorified.
Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Jesus said to his disciples, Gird your loins and light your lamps, and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table, and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, Blessed are those servants. Verbum Domini. Here in North America, Many farmers at this time of the year are engaged in bringing in the harvest. And in Iowa, they have the combines out there bringing in the corn. And there was always, I remember, of course, growing up on that farm, a certain sense of satisfaction when you had planted, you'd watched it grow, you have a good harvest, and now it's all been brought in and harvested. My nephew, in fact, works for a farm management group, and he does these little videos that I enjoy watching, how they prepare the soil, and then they plant the seed. And then they monitor it as it's growing, particular needs or pests or funguses or whatever's going on. And then they monitor, well, how how good was the harvest? And so as we think about the harvesting going on here in North America or other places. The church has us thinking about the eternal harvest, the most important harvest, the harvest of our souls into the granary of heaven. And uh, there's a writing by Pope St. Clement, who was the fourth pope. He was a contemporary of the apostles He was a co-worker with St. Paul. And next week, we'll actually have a reading from his letter to the Corinthians that he wrote. And in that, he talks about looking at creation and seeing how the Lord keeps reminding us of the resurrection that is to come. Just by looking at creation, our experience of every day. And so he says, let us look, beloved, at the resurrection that occurs at its appointed time, day and night. Show us a resurrection. The night lies in sleep, day rises again. The day departs, night takes its place. Let us think about the harvest. How does the sowing take place and in what manner? The sower goes out and casts each seed into the ground. Dry and bare, they fall into the earth and decay. 
Then the greatness of the Lord's providence raises them up again. And out of one, many are produced and yield fruit. In this hope, then, let our hearts be bound fast to him who is faithful to his promises. He forbade us to tell lies. Still less will he himself tell a lie. Still less will he himself tell a lie. So he's made us promises. The Lord has taught us about preparing for his coming, preparing for eternity. He keeps his promises. And he's going to provide us with everything that we need to have to bear abundant fruit. And so Clement's letter concludes, let us then approach him in holiness of soul, raising up to him hands pure and undefiled, out of love for our good and merciful Father who made us a chosen portion for himself. You know, some years ago, I went to the funeral of a friend of mine who was Irish, and they had on, he had on his father's prayer card an Irish prayer, which I really liked and I kept. And it says this, Christ is the seed, Christ is the harvest. Into God's barn may we be brought. Christ is the sea, Christ is the fish. Into the nets of God may we be caught. From birth to age and from age to death, May your two arms, O Christ, be around us. From death to the end, not the end, but a rebirth. In the paradise of graces, may we be. So as we come, or we're coming toward the end of the church's liturgical year, our attention is, in a particular way, on these things and being prepared for the Lord's coming. This, as we enter into the beginning of the Advent season, too, we'll have these thoughts as well that we are to consider. But I like some of the words of our Lord that preceded today's gospel. And today's gospel is from chapter 12, verse 35 through 38. But go back just a couple of verses to verse 32. And these were not included in yesterday's reading. And Jesus said this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. For where your treasure is, is there will your heart also be. Fear not, little flock. It's a good verse for us to memorize. Fear not, little flock. What is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? That's what his will is. That is what his desire is. And it is for us then to strive, as our opening prayer spoke of, to live in God's will, to live in a way that's pleasing to God, which ultimately is for our own happiness and our own eternal welfare. And St. Paul points out in today's first reading from his letter to the Romans, chapter 5, that we're given even more than we really need. And so twice he speaks about the grace of God is overflowing. 
So if you think of a, a river flowing down its channels, but he says twice here that the grace of God overflowed. And so he talks about the reality of original sin, our first father's sin. But now he says, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many? And then he talks again about how death came to reign through that one. But how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and life through the one Jesus Christ, how much more? Where sin increased, grace overflowed all the more. And so we experience, right, the reality of original sin, our fallen nature. And the Catechism tells us that original sin that we've inherited is really, that it's really a deprivation of what we should have received, a deprivation of the original holiness. And a good way or a particular way we might think about this is if our family had a rich inheritance for us, but then our parents gambled it all away. They lost this rich inheritance that we were going to receive, that we're looking forward to, that was going to be for our good and for our welfare, and they just lost it all. They gamble it all away. And so the Catechism speaks about original sin as a deprivation of that original holiness and justice, but human nature has not been totally corrupted. It is wounded. We suffer ignorance, a darkening of our intellects, suffering, death, an inclination towards sin. Our passions are disordered. We experience this. But grace overflowed all the more. And that's the good news that the Catechism concludes its section on original sin. You did not abandon him to the power of death. And in number 412, it says, but why did God not prevent the first man from sinning? People have asked that. Well, why didn't he just stop them from sinning in the first place? Be a lot better for us. Good question. And the Catechism answers with words of St. Leo the Great. Christ's inexpressible grace gave us blessings better than those the demon's envy had taken away. And St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, there is nothing to prevent human nature's being raised up to something greater, even after sin. God permits evil in order to draw forth some greater good. Thus, St. Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And the exalted sings, O happy fault, which gained for us so great a redeemer. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what our father's good pleasure is. That's what he delights in to give us the kingdom. And as Clement pointed out, he doesn't lie. 
He keeps his promises. If, a, if the Lord says that he's gone to, gone to prepare a place for us, he keeps his promises. If St. Paul also speaks of how much God loves us, that his grace has overflowed even more than sin has deformed us, that grace is available to us to raise us to an even higher place, he's speaking the truth about the goodness of God. So I'll just conclude again with these uh, words from this Irish prayer. Christ is a seed. Christ is a harvest. Into God's barn may we be brought. Christ is the sea. Christ is the fish. In the nets of God may we be caught. From birth to age and from age to death, may your two arms, O Christ, be around us. From death to the end, not the end, but a rebirth. In the paradise of graces, may we be.